Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little, and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to, to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the, ma- in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Those brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those from Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Nice to be with you back at 5.30. I've been preaching at Rudy Hill and then 6.15 and 7, so it's good to be back at 5.30. Um, this is our last sermon in Philippians. Uh, I've loved preaching through Philippians. Just so you know where we're heading, so we've got mission focus next week, then Easter, and then after Easter, one question's for God, and after one question for God, we've got Ecclesiastes, which I'm also excited about. Uh, let me pray first tonight. Uh, Father, your word uh, promises that it will not return to you empty. Uh, So thank you, Father, that you do speak to us through your living, active word. And we pray that you would encourage, correct, edify, nourish, support us, rebuke us. Do whatever you need to do in us, Lord, that we, we might see you and hear you tonight. In Jesus' name. I love the story of the airline pilot who is flying over a lake. And he looks down at the lake. He says to his co-pilot, see that lake down there? As a little boy, I used to sail on a little boat and go fishing in that lake. And when I was young, I used to look at the planes go overhead and thinking, I long to be an airline pilot. And you know what? Today I'm flying over a lake and in some ways... I long to be a little boy again back on that lake without all the cares of this world. And I love that story. I, I do think it sums us up, you know, that, uh, that we always long for something we don't yet have. Uh, our society has been described as the, the age of discontent or dissatisfaction. In many ways, that's true, you know. See if any of this resonates. If only I had more money, then I'd be happy. If only I had more time to spend my money, then I'd be happy. If only I had a less stressful job, then I'd be happy. If only I wasn't so bored in my job, then I'd be happy. 
if only I had that partner that I long for or the house that I long for or the, the suburb I want to live in, then I'd be happy. If only I had more hair, then I'd be happy. If only I had more muscles, then I'd be happy. If I had a slimmer body, then I'd be happy. And it kind of like, we're never satisfied, are we? There's always something in our life that we are lacking that we think is the, the silver bullet for true happiness. Do you know in Sydney that, that the majority of people live well, well beyond their means? Always spending stuff on stuff that they think will make them happy. And here in the North Shore, on average, people move every five years. They move house every five years, always wanting a, a bigger house or a better suburb, looking for the better life. We are profoundly discontent. And I do think we are also, also profoundly ungrateful as a, as a society. Have you ever seen a, um, a parent giving their five-year-old child a birthday present or a Christmas present. And so the parents have worked hard to, to, to save the money to buy their child a present. And if you're there as, as they receive the present, you see this, this five-year-old open the present and go, but I wanted the green one. I didn't want the blue one, I wanted the green one. Or the teenagers say, I wanted a 64-gig iPod, not the 32-gig. As you're watching on, you're thinking, gosh, what an ungrateful child that is. But let's be honest. Think about your life. We live in an amazing country. An extraordinary country with an amazing opportunities we have here. And you think about what God has given you in this world today. And yet, deep down, we can be profoundly, profoundly ungrateful. And that's the lessons we're going to learn today. Contentment, learning to be satisfied. And gratitude, learning to be thankful. And do you know who we're going to learn from? We're going to learn from a man who's in prison. We're going to learn from a man who is facing execution He's going to teach us about contentment and about gratitude. And these verses in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 23, they're really a thank you letter. Paul is thanking the Philippians for their generous gift. The church at Philippi sent Paul a gift, and Paul is writing to them to say, thank you for your gift. But it's almost like as he writes a thank you letter, he is concerned that they might think he wasn't content before he got their gift. And so he writes about now that he's always been content, but he is still deeply thankful. Let's look at contentment. Point number one, learn contentment in all circumstances. Contentment has been described as the, the hidden jewel of Christianity. That, 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 that Christian who is always content in Christ, no matter what they're going through, don't you want to be around those people? Through the tough times, they're content. Through the, the good times, they're also content. And for those who know me well, you know that I learned the lesson of contentment about 12 years ago. I learned the hard way as God took me through deep 
sadness and pain to teach me contentment because I was preaching on these very verses the week when my world fall apart. And to grapple with what does it mean to learn contentment? It's not saying that I am self-sufficient. It's saying that God is sufficient. It's not saying that I'm in charge. It's saying God's in charge. Contentment is that, that inner rest or the inner peace where you say, God is good and God's in control and God is sufficient. Look at verse 11. Paul says, I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. I love that, that contentment is learned. You learn how to be content. It doesn't come naturally. It's a bit like fitness, isn't it? You, you don't wake up tomorrow morning and suddenly find yourself super fit. You learn how to get fit and often it's hard work. Same with contentment. It's not this amazing ability that some people have and other people don't have. You can all learn how to be content. Contentment is not a spiritual gift. So you cannot sit here today and say, oh, God hasn't given me the gift of contentment. No, he has. You've just got to learn it. So Paul learned contentment, but he wrote this passage about 30 years after he became a Christian. How has he learned to be content? He's just done life with God, you know. And the life that God has taken Paul on had highs and lows, good times and tough times. He learned to be content in all circumstances. Do you spot that? He says, verse 12, I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. Uh, Paul looks back at his life and says, there were moments in my life where I had nothing. I was shipwrecked, I was naked, I was hungry, I was homeless, I was at rock bottom. But in that circumstances, God taught me how to be content. And there's moments in his life where he had everything. A rich, abundant, flourishing, wonderful life. He says, whether I have nothing or I have everything, I've learned to be content. And you imagine there's moments in Paul's life where he really did have nothing. Naked, bleeding, tormented, tortured, homeless and hungry. He said, in those moments, it was almost like God was saying to me, I really am enough, I am in control and I do love you, so be content. And the moment where he had everything, and it's those moments where we've got everything, where we're in danger of not being content or thinking that we are all self-sufficient. But when he had everything, he's kind of saying, no, no, Everything I have belongs to God, so make sure I'm using it for his glory now. So no matter what he goes through, verse 12, in any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. I want to ask you, have you learned that secret? Have you learned the secret of contentment? What is the secret of contentment? I think this is a secret. It's on the screen. Trust God is sovereign. Trust God is your saviour, and trust God is all-sufficient. Get those three right, and you'll learn to be content. Do you really believe God is sovereign? Do you really believe God's in control all the time? 
and that nothing takes God by surprise. Paul did. He says in verse 11, I don't say this out of need. But he was in need. He was in prison. He was hungry. He was starving. But what he's saying there is that, yes, he was in need, but God would provide for his needs. He knew God was in control all the time. And what's extraordinary is that Paul wrote this letter from a prison cell and he wrote Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians and Philemon from the same prison cell and yes, he asked for prayer but he never once asked for money. It's almost he's saying, you know, I do trust God to provide. Sometimes in abundance, sometimes he, he withheld because God gives and God takes away but blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you believe that? God's always in control all the time. That every day ordained for you was written in God's book before one of them came to be. You will never learn to be content if you don't believe that. Because you'll always be questioning, is God in control here? What's God doing here? At the last prayer meeting, I talked about a guy called George Muller. I love his story. I love his faith. A man who lived believing that God was in control of every moment of every day. If you know his story, he actually established orphanages for thousands of orphans. But he never never once asked for a cent. He just trusted God to provide. I'll read from his journal. The 8th of February, 1842. Just enough food for one more day. Lord, give us today our daily bread. Lord, we have no money for tomorrow's bread or milk or coal for the fire. Lord, I trust you're in control, so please provide. So he woke up next day, not knowing whether there's enough food for the day. He walked to the orphanage and as he, as he opened the door, he was greeted by the sight of food because a Christian businessman had been walking past that morning. And about half a mile past the orphanage, he stopped and thought, oh, those kids there, they might be in need. And so he was late for his business meeting. He turned around, he walked back to the orphanages, and he provided enough money for food for that day. And I share that story because, you know, that in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. We don't really pray it because we've got enough food for the next months, haven't we? Do you believe that God's in control of providing for you for today and tomorrow and the next day? And he might take you down to the wire. But he sees, he knows, he's in control. If you do believe that, you'll start to be content. And learn that Jesus is your saviour. Whatever you think you're lacking in life is not your saviour. The perfect relationship is not your saviour. The perfect marriage is not your saviour. The perfect child is not your saviour. Your perfect house is not your saviour. Those things will never truly satisfy. Only Jesus does. Remember the promise of Jesus in Matthew chapter, 20, Matthew chapter 6? He says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be given to you. And all those things are your food, your clothing, and your shelter. God promises to provide your basic needs when you start to trust him and serve him as your your Savior and your King. 
And I want to say, friends, please do a reality check on your life. What, what do you want out of life? What do you think you need in life? I sometimes think we get our perspective totally wrong. There's a story of a, of a Christian man who goes to visit his pastor in Africa. He says to his pastor, he says, I cannot stand the place I live. There are, there are nine of us living in this single room. I've got to get out of there. Then I'll be happy. And so the pastor turns to this man and says, why don't you go home? Go back to your room. And you know that goat that lives in your yard? Bring the goat inside for a week and get, get the goat to live with you in your room. And a week later, the, the Christian comes back and says, this is unbearable, that goat. Oh my goodness, the poo and the smell. I've got to get him out of there. He said, okay, go home and take the goat out of your room. Come back to me next week. <laughs> next week, he comes back and says, Pastor, my room is amazing. Like, it's beautiful. Like, it's a lovely smell these days. I love it there. Now, nothing's changed. There's still nine people living in the room. He's just seeing it through a different lens. I want to say, Church by the Bridge, often we see life through the wrong lens. We're about to celebrate Easter. God loves you. Jesus died for you. He's promised you new life in Christ and forgiveness and hope and a future. That thing that you think you're missing in life to bring true satisfaction, it really doesn't satisfy. And trust God is sufficient. Do you believe verse 13? Paul says, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. I'm able to do all the things that God calls me to do through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. Now, now Paul is not saying here he's kind of a, a Christian superman who can jump out of a plane without a, a parachute. He's not stupid. But what he's saying is that whatever God calls him to do, whatever circumstance God places him in, he can live in that, in that situation through Jesus because he's in Christ and Christ does strengthen him and Christ does empower him and Christ does equip him. Do you believe that? Whatever situation God puts you in in this world, you can do it. Okay, God, at the moment I'm facing deep Pain and grief. God, I, I don't think I can do this. Yes, you can, he says. Of course you can, because I'm with you. I will equip you. I will strengthen you to get through today and tomorrow and the next day. Just trust me. But, but God, you know, I, 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 I long for that, that perfect health and that perfect body. I know you do, he says. But just trust me that today I'll be with you and I'll strengthen you and I'll equip you. The thing I love about God, you know, is that He He often doesn't show you the next five years or the next even the next year. Because if He did, you'd, you'd you'd crumble and say, "I can't do that, God." And what God does, He just shows you the next day and the next day and the next day. He says, "I'm sufficient for you today. I'm strengthening you for tomorrow. Just trust me that I will provide." I can do all things through him, through Jesus, who equips me and strengthens me and provides for me. That's the secret. To know that God is sovereign, to know that God is the Jesus your Savior, and to know that he really is all-sufficient.
Here's a test for you. See whether you're content. Remember that verse from chapter 1, verse 21, where the Apostle Paul says, For me to live is Christ. Remember that sermon? Fill in the blank. For me to live is... If for you to live is money, you'll never be content because you'll never have enough money. If for you to live is your marriage or your family, then you'll never be content because people always let you down. If for you to live is property or finances or the right sober, you'll never be content because you never get the house that you really want. If for you to live is your health, then you've got a problem because we're getting old and our bodies will fail. But for me to live is Christ. If you put Christ at the center of your life, saying he is sufficient and my satisfaction comes from him, then maybe you'll just be content and trust him. When I was going through this situation 12 years ago, and grappling with these very verses to preach on. Someone gave me a quote that I absolutely hated. Hated it. But it's right. I don't know who wrote it. It said this. I may not have the job I want. I may not have the house that I want. I may not have the marriage or the kids that I long for. I may not have the friends or the family that I long for. I may not have the looks that I want or the health that I want. But I do have Jesus Christ. And he is all that I need. Do you believe that? You've got Christ. He is sufficient. Number two, be grateful. Please be grateful. Uh, the Philippians were true partners and, and they, they saw a need, they met the need, they provided some money. And Paul is basically writing to say, thank you so much. His heart is full of gratitude and thankfulness for their gift. Uh, verse 15. Uh, you Philippians know in the early days of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts to my needs several times. He's saying, wow, you guys are amazing. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you that the, the gospel has impacted your wallet. Thank you. But then three times he said, I actually don't need your money. Verse 11, I don't say, say it's out of need. Verse 17, I, I don't seek the gift. See, it's not about the money. It's actually about your heart. See if you can understand verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. What he's saying there is that that when you give some money, it actually benefits you as the giver much more than the receiver. The profit that is increasing to the Philippians' account is is that God sees their generosity and God bears fruit in the lives of other people through their generosity. Do you ever get that? As you give, as you serve with your time, your talents and your money, you see other people grow in their faith. You see other people come to faith. 
And that actually just warms your heart, doesn't it? There's something really beautiful about being generous and seeing the impact that has on other people. He says down in verse 18, I've received everything in full. I've got everything I want, everything I need. I have an abundance, he says. How can he write that when he's got nothing? I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. That, that, that's words from Leviticus. Remember where they offered a sacrifice, and the sacrifice was pleasing to God. It appeased God. God was delighted with it. And what this passage is saying is that, is that God is pleased and Paul is pleased. So God is satisfied and Paul is satisfied. And he just says, thank you. I am so grateful for your provision. I'm so grateful to God for you providing my needs. And this passage is just overflowing with thankfulness and with gratitude. And you all know that thankfulness is a a topic that I I just love talking about. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, and overflowing with thankfulness. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. If you're here tonight and you know and love Jesus, you are called to be thankful. Gratitude and thankfulness should be overflowing from your heart. What have you got to be thankful about? Think about that question. What can you be thankful about in this very moment? List all the things that God has given you. And give thanks to him for them. And how about we actually thank each other a bit more? Verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That once again, you renewed your care for me, saying, thank you, Philippians, that you cared for me. Thank you that you provided for my needs. Verse 14, you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. Thank you that you really entered into my burdens, and you carried my burdens with me. Thank you, church. I do want to say thank you, church. Thank you, church, for the way that you provide for the Dale family. Thank you for the way that you carried our burdens two years ago when we in hospital. Thank you for the way that you pray. Thank you for the way that you give so generously so that gospel work can happen here. Thank you for the way that you get alongside me and just speak a word of encouragement. Thank you to all these musicians who every week just give your time and your talent so we can praise God in song. Thank you for those guys at the back, for Steve and for Jess on the sounds so we can hear the sermon, or to, you can hear the music. Thank you for those who turned up early this afternoon to put out leaflets or to do communion. Thank you for those who welcome. Thank you for those who do suffer. Just thank you for the way that as we as a church get together so that we can honor and praise God. Thank you. Just thank you for being you and for your generous hearts. And my challenge for us, church, is that if you develop this, this thankfulness muscle in you, if you work hard at it, if you wake up each morning overflowing with thankfulness and you stop and you say, well, thank you, God, for a new day. Thank you for sleep. Thank you for a bed to sleep in. Thank you for a roof over my head. Thank you I can open the cupboard and pull out some wheat bix. Thank you, Lord, that I can have some breakfast this morning. Thank you for work to go to. Thank you for a car to drive. Thank you for this city to live in. Thank you for a body that just about works. Start to thank God for stuff. And then maybe thank other people. 
as you see someone that you can give thanks for, tell them, I'm really thankful for you. Thank you for the way you do this for me. Now what's going to happen to you? You'll be a different person, you know. You won't be grumbling or complaining. You won't be whinging. You'll be full of contentment and full of gratitude. And you've got to believe the promise of verse 19. My God, he says, our God, the God who loves us, the God who died for us, the God who knows us, our God will supply all your needs, not your greeds, not your wants, but your needs. He sees, he knows, he supplies. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Whatever you need in life to keep on living a life worthy of the gospel, he will provide that. And when you understand that, then you start to live as a person who really does give all the glory to God. Now to God, our Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. So two really simple lessons. Be content and be grateful. It doesn't come naturally, but we're called to learn it. Let me close with this story. A legend has it that uh, there's a man who longed to meet the Apostle Paul, desperate to meet this man who he'd heard so much about. So Timothy arranged for this man to meet the Apostle Paul in jail. And he walked into the cell, and this old, thin, hungry-looking man was lying there. Nothing much to look at. Five minutes later, he came out of the cell, and he said to Timothy, Wow, that man is amazing. Like, he's just full of hope and joy, and he's content, and he's happy. What's the secret? Quote, Timothy says, did you not guess? Paul's just in love. And the man looked puzzled. In love, he said. In love with who? Timothy said, Paul is in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the man looked even more bewildered and said, is that it? Is that all? And Timothy smiled and said, yes, that's it. That's everything. You just need to be in love with Jesus. So I'll ask you, are you in love with Jesus? Do you really love him? Is he your everything? If he is, you'll be content and you'll be, grat- you'll be grateful. Let me pray. Father God, we are so thankful for all that you bless us with, for food and for shelter and for clothing. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us even in the darkest of days and the darkest of moments. Thank you that you provide people, people to listen and cry with. Thank you that you provide our every need. Father, please make us a people who are grateful and who are content. And Father, I do pray for anyone here at this very moment who are lacking that contentment. Lord, I I pray that they would trust that you are sovereign, that you are their saviour, and that you are all-sufficient. 
And we do claim that promise, Lord, that you will supply all that we need according to your riches found in Jesus Christ.